and welcome everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Every Day is a New Day show. My name is Kim O'Neill and I am excited to be bringing back a guest that we spoke with just a few weeks ago, but today we're going to get to hear more of her story. And so I am going to jump right to the punch by telling you what we're talking about. We're talking about my guest today who went from being an alcoholic nun to an inspiring grief coach. And she's going to share more details about that. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and just say right here for everybody, we're not talking about a, you know, an alcoholic nun, you know, walking around drunk or anything like that, but there's a really inspiring story here and how she helps people today, I think is really beautiful. So stay tuned for that. Before we move further, let's take a moment to shake off yesterday. Shake it off, shake it off. Take a deep breath in, exhaling and releasing the past, whatever's been weighing you down, whatever's been clouding your, your mind, making it hard for you to focus and be fully present in the moment. You're in your greatest power when you're able to be fully present in this moment. And never fault yourself for however many times you may need to do that, especially when you're going through something. It's okay. We're all here living this human experience and we have to, you know, work our stuff, right? Use our tools, do what we can to support ourselves in, in healing, in moving forward, in coming back to the present moment. This is for all of us, all of us, all of us. And that's why I want to always emphasize that every day is always a new day. So with that said, let's move into, I have a quote that is going to go with today's show and is guest approved as well. I love it. It's from Bryant McGill. This quote is, real transformation requires real honesty. If you want to move forward, get real with yourself. Real transformation requires real honesty. If you want to move forward, get real with yourself. And I'm going to highlight there the get real with yourself. This isn't about you need to tell the world everything, anything and everything. And maybe you get to that point, right? Like today's guest, she's going to be so open and sharing with us today. And that may not be what's part of your journey, but it matters when we get real with ourselves, get honest with ourselves. That just, that's so key. And I'm, I'm going to stop that conversation here right now because I want to bring today's guest into this let me share a little bit more about her with you first, though. So today's guest is, once again, we have with us Joan McDermott. She is a grief coach and the author of Clearing Space for Grace, Finding New Life After Loss. Joan also has a background in psychotherapy, master addictions counseling, spiritual direction, teaching, and childcare work. And after having helped many traumatized and grieving clients herself and being on the heels of her own recent multiple losses, Joan was able to find a way up and out of the emotional landslide and painful self-pity that began to own her. As she took responsibility for her own healing, committed to living in gratitude and joy, she rediscovered herself and once again became a free agent. And these days, her deepest desire is to share the process that helped her with other grieving women who know that they also need help and want to move forward. And so today, we're going to be hearing more about her story of where she's been and how she got to being this inspiring grief coach. And so with that said, I'm going to bring her up on screen. Welcome, Joan. Hi. So good to be here again. <clears throat> I know. And so I want to I want to make sure everyone knows that you, you know, we already spoke and we've already gotten to hear 
the specifics of your story of, of when you were recently grieving and how you, you know, in recent years and how you moved yourself out of that and now are able to help people with your, your grief coaching program. And so anybody who wants to know more specifically about that, definitely go and check out that interview with Joan. Um, and I'm sure some of that will come up in today's conversation as well. Um, but check that out on YouTube, iTunes, all the playlists, all that kind of stuff. But Joan, today we are going to talk about how you how you transformed from, you know, this, this nun who discovered she was alcoholic to being a grief coach today. And where would you like to start this story to give everyone a little bit more of who you are? Oh my goodness. Uh, I love hindsight. It gives me better vision. So when you asked me to do this, it was interesting what was coming up in me. And I'd like to begin with when I was in the convent and, uh, you know, they moved me from place to place because they found me very flexible and adaptable. So I went from convent to convent and I was a teacher back in the day. And then the doors opened wider in the nunnery, so to speak. A lot of the rules were changed and moved around and we were given permission to ask um, to be moved to a place where we could give better service because we would be using our gifts. And if we could find a place, we could go there. So I asked to uh, leave the teaching profession to go to do child care work in a place that used to be an orphanage but ended up being for children of uh, broken homes and things like that where they still had their home, but they, they lived with us during the week and they might have days with their family too. And Joan, can you give everyone some context of where you were a nun and the time frame? Yeah, um, this was in uh, Rhode Island. And, um, and so this place that I asked to go to was actually practically around the corner from where my mother and father lived. And it was called St. Aloysius Home. And um, so there I was and, and trying to change my whole life. It was a new transformation for me. I didn't have those words, nor those thoughts in those days. I was a very loving, obedient nun that just wanted to serve God till the hilt. And I was told that I would be great at this child caring home. And I'm saying I would, <laughs> but I did. And I got the permission to do it. And my best friends were at the helm. That's they're the ones who encouraged me. And so what I had to, I had the only girls in the home. And it took me a while to, to get adjusted in so many ways but I actually turned out to love what I was doing. The kids were, the girls were hellions. You know, they would be swearing at me and they had a very strict nun before I came and in I come with all my love. <laughs> and they're saying, you're not a nun. You don't even dress like a nun because we had permission to, to wear secular clothes now. So I didn't even have a habit on. Oh, and wow. But anyway, I grew to love them and I, I discovered gifts I had that I never knew I had. And I did so well, second to none, they told me. No, nobody was ever able to get those girls in order. 
<laughs> oh, and, and I did it. I did it through love. It was all about love. I'm sorry. <laughs> and so, what happened to? Um, I got to stop this phone. It's okay. All right. Can you hear this phone ringing? I actually couldn't hear it at all. Okay, I forgot to turn the phone off. That's okay. Distracting to me. There we go. So, anyway. I had these uh, hellions that were turned into, uh, I wouldn't say angels, but I mean, <laughs> they, they were very, very different girls. And um, so the first year I, I went through all the, the different uh, changes and discovered my gifts and I learned how to drive because I wanted to drive them around a couple at a time to buy some new things. And, Aww. you know, I changed everything at the dorm. Well, I, I could get into a whole story, but my story is, so how did I get to be a nun? <laughs> I'm, how did I get to be an alcoholic nun? Um, my best friends that had uh, encouraged me, one had been the administrator at this home and the other one was the program director. Well, I lost both of them. Uh, they both left the convent. Oh, okay. And in those days, there was so much flux going on. One left uh, because she was asked to leave. She was doing things none shouldn't be doing. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then the other one um, moved to go on with her education in nursing to a different place. Okay. But I lost them, and the new regime that came in, for some reason, they didn't like me, and I, I I was not used to that. I was used to people loving me because I loved everybody. <laughs> that was a very difficult time for me. And uh, the one thing that happened to me that was very striking is when I was learning how to drive, my driving instructor raped me. Oh, Joan. Yeah. And I didn't know who to tell. I didn't know what to make of it. I didn't know what to do. And um, I just kept trying to get on with my life. But but it was between having my my best friends gone and nobody to talk to there, um, I I did the best I could. But I finally went and asked the head honcho, the <laughs> the um, the new administrator. I said, I think I need to get back to the garden. That meant for me to get back to a place of prayer to find out what's going on with me. And so I got permission to go to the house of prayer that we had, that we it was a place open to other people. And we I would be like one of the servants in, in, the, in that home. But they also needed funds to keep it running because when the people came to the retreat house, it was really a retreat house. Uh, they did not have to pay if they did not have money. So every, it was done by donation only, or if they had a donation. Okay. But we welcomed everybody. And I was part of the crew that was helping them. But meanwhile, they thought maybe if I could teach in the school, the country day school that we also ran, that was in walking distance, I did that. So I said yes to, to that. Meanwhile, I kept going to the, um, the, the priest that we had as chaplain. 
I would go to him every single week and talk to him about this thing that had started to happen to me. I didn't want to serve the people anymore. And it wasn't that I didn't mean serve just the people in, in the retreat house. It had started before that. If people were asking me for something, I just wanted to hang up the phone. I never did it, but I didn't know what was going on. Okay. And I discovered I was, when I went to this house of prayer, because I went to school first and then came home to serve the people, I decided I was going to take a little glass of wine, have a nap, and then serve the people. And I was bragging to the nuns how, how wonderful that was. I would have a little <laughs> nip and a nap, I called it, have a nip and a nap. Well, I all I had was a little nip and a nap to begin with, but alcoholism is progressive. And... Right. And so by the end of that year, uh, wine was fine, but liquor was quicker. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but I had no idea that, you know, I was a budding alcoholic and it was in my family system. And, um, and I did, but I still didn't know what was wrong with me. So the priest uh, said to me, Joan, you're telling me the same story every time you come in here. I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something. And I said, oh, my God, I hope he's not telling me to leave the convent. I never wanted to leave. I wanted to find oh. out what's wrong with me. Oh. <laughs> what's wrong with me? So he said, I'm now I'm not telling you to leave, and I'm not telling you to stay. I said, oh, he's thinking of it, though. <laughs> he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit and be quiet and, and read your scripture and just let the Holy Spirit bring in anything. Don't block anything out. Let's see what's going on there. Just get really quiet and do that. And I said, oh, I can do that. I was relieved because I could do that, you know, easily. I, I still had that prayerful piece. So I did. So I had the best room in the house. How God took care of me is so amazing. I And I view out my window gorgeous scenery and it was a beautiful setting and i'm sitting i i had a rocking chair in that room it was two beds in there but i was the only one in it and i had that big walk-in closet where i used to hide the booze and didn't know why i was hiding it but it would go in the closet and and uh, so i sat there this day and i'm rocking away with my glass of wine in one hand and the Bible in my lap, and I'm looking at God, and I'm saying, okay, talk to me now. <laughs> so, so I'm sitting, there, sitting and rocking and drinking, and I said, you're not going to tell me anything? Okay, this, <laughs> this is what I'm going to do. Now I'm telling God. I'm going to leave because I don't know what's wrong with me, and you're going to take care of me, right? So I flipped the Bible open and it opens up to an Old Testament. I said, Old Testament. I'm looking at God. <laughs> my arguing with God now. These are all symptoms of alcoholism, by the way. Restless, irritable, discontent, and controlling, and always yucky about something. And I didn't understand that in me. So I'm doing it with God now. So I said, an Old Testament, you couldn't give me the gospel or something. But I read it. It was from Zephaniah 3. And I'm here to tell you, this is my transforming moment. 
at the very beginning. What was in that reading was that God was going to remove my shame. He was talking to the people of Israel, but he was talking to me. Right. He's going to remove my shame. He's going to renew me in his love. And I'm saying, oh, God, that's great. Thanks. And the next thing I saw is, and I'm going to set you as a light for others. Oh, I said, God, good deal. And I closed the Bible. <laughs> and I said, there just happened to be a, a, a woman there who had been on the provincial board that I was friendly with. And she knew all the ways, the ins and outs of whatever I, I had to do to leave because I had made vows uh, and I had to be released from the vows. So it's very similar in secular terms to a divorce. So okay. to, there, was a, there was legal stuff I had to do. Wow. Sense, spiritually legal sense. So I went through all of that, set myself up for uh, a place to live. <clears throat> And because and back in those days, I was I was a very vibrant person when I look back in hindsight. And even in my toughest times, I was resilient and resourceful. And so I had everything set up. And um, I had a friend come pick me up and take me to uh, this place that I thought I was supposed to live. And meanwhile, back at the ranch, um, the, he took me to uh, the place to live was going to be with his sister, her sister's friend, I should say. Well, his sister's friend, <laughs> she had broken screens, cats jumping in and out of the, the windows, and and the reek, it reeked with pot. Oh, and, wow. And <laughs> so, so um, the guy, uh, the guy, the guy that was doing all of this, he, uh, I had met him at St. Bonaventure when I was getting my uh, master's in theology. He was there for history, something or other, summers. We went summers. So that's how I got to know him and his family. And he and his sister's boyfriend, I can hear them behind me. She can't stay here. This is disgusting. She's never going. We were, we're not going to live. So then my sister-in-law's ended up to be my sister-in-law's boy, uh, boyfriend said, she can stay with me. I have a new apartment now. And I have a room on one side, a kitchen in the middle, and another room on the other side. So that's why I ended up going. <laughs> well, and Joan, I want to, so I want to highlight for everybody. So here you are in this phase of already leaving the convent, but you still didn't know that you were an alcoholic at this stage, correct? Not, no, not really. I, it was just a normal thing that people did. <laughs> I thought. Okay. Well, so, so take us to where you start to explore a little further and eventually discover that you were an alcoholic. Oh, well, so this this uh, friend I keep talking about turned out to be my husband in the end. <clears throat> and we did a lot of socializing. I mean, we danced, we sang, we did everything, and we drank. 
And, uh, you know, 10 years into the marriage, I ended up marrying him a year after I left uh, the convent. And, um, and I said, oh, something's going on here. I used to be able to drink and stop for a while and then drink and stop for a while, but those times okay. got shorter and shorter. And the time between, in 1983 back then, uh, the time between the uh, stopping and starting disappeared. And it was from the Christmas time to New Year's. And I was just drinking every day, stumbling around drunk and said, I got to do something about this. And that's when I got into my recovery process. And... Um, you know that that little saying you had about the truth will set. That yeah. is my whole theme. I when I learned, I'm sitting with a bunch of drunks saying they're all nuts, not drink for the rest of their life. They gotta be kidding. They gotta be kidding. This is, <laughs> and then I I just kept going there and going there and going there until the truth finally set me free. I am an alcoholic. And then all the stuff before that began to make sense. I began to hear myself in the, from the mouths of other people. And so then uh, once I was in recovery, I decided that I needed to take a few courses in psychology or something because these people were coming to me and I didn't know I, I didn't have any history of, you know, stuff like that. What kinds so, of people were coming to you? Well, um, people that were needing me to help them uh, with their lives. You know, I, I had, I always attracted those kind of people. So <laughs> I go, I go to this prestigious Catholic college because, it, you know, I'm still, I'm still that devout, person. And um, this roly-poly nun greets me as she's the administrator and she's got the curly hair and uh, a dress on. And uh, she says, well, tell me what you're about. So I told her, I said, these people are coming to me and I think I need to have take a few courses in psychology. And she said, oh, tell me your story. She was so smart. I told her my whole story. And she said, Joan, you don't need a few courses in psychology. You need to get, you need to get a, a, your counseling master's at least and get some validity in this world. So I did. And, and as she's saying this, she said, now you don't have to do this, but I'm suggesting this and I'm giving you the name of the head of the department. He's a friend of mine. Tell him I sent you if you do this. And um, so I, I got home and I looked at God and said, where are you taking me now? I mean, <laughs> so he took me to school. That's where he took me. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I did get my master's in counseling. And then who was walking through my, I just set up my sign on, on uh, this new uh, little uh, office that I got. And it said Center for Counseling, Recovery, and Healing. Okay. And so I did that. And 
the people coming in were traumatized, highly traumatized people. And I was working with multiple personalities, they called them in those days, that's was a long time ago, dissociative identity disordered people. Mm -hmm. And I was just doing everything intuitively. Another thing, I discovered gifts about myself. So I decided to go on for my psychotherapy. And um, because counseling, it wasn't in the books what came to me, but I was doing what I believed was the best thing. And I joined this psychotherapy group in New York. And lo and, and you, go ahead. Oh. I want to keep, remember that thought. I just wanted to ask you, did you, at this stage, did you feel that you had already healed from the rape and, and what was contributing to your drinking? Had you like, or was that still in process? Well, this is what happened. Yeah. This okay. is part of that, my moving okay. into that process, you know? Okay. Got it. So, so I'm not drinking anymore. And, um, <clears throat> I've made a life for myself and I go away to this uh, psychotherapy group in New York and uh, the wife was a nurse and she was uh, the associate. She was married to the doctor, or Dr. Erskine, who ran it. And lo and behold, when I get there, I, I'm with all these people, broken people that are psychotherapists that come from all over the world. I was like the new kid on the block and uh, they'd been around for a while. And what I discovered the first time we had a, a 10 day intensive where we went to the couple's home with flowers and a pond in their backyard. And we, we live like in, in different rooms and it almost feel like I was back in the convent, you know, <laughs> the way it was set up. But I I went through that intensive with all these people, watched how the therapy was done. It was done on us. We were the therapist and we were the clients at the same time. It was, it was extraordinary. And I discovered that I, I could do what I was doing really well. But you know, meanwhile, back at the ranch, because I was a client as that psycho, uh, that, that person was going for my psychotherapy. Because I was the client, all the stuff was coming up. The rape came up, the losses I sustained, the drinking I got through, all of that. That's what happened to me when I went to this place in, and it was in, um, it was, it was in Kent, Connecticut. And then I went to uh, meetings in New York where their offices were. And that's where I would get therapy from. I chose her as my therapist, uh, uh, the, the doctor's wife. And I asked if she, if she would be my therapist and, and she was, but it, it was extraordinary and very God-directed. And um, and it, it was really something because I had, I don't think I mentioned about my six miscarriages. Oh, when my I, goodness, Joan. No. The, the first five years of my marriage, I had six miscarriages, six. 
wow. in a matter of five years. And, um, and that was really something. That was a lot of loss. And that also was being dealt with at this time now that I'm in my psychotherapy uh, frame. And I, uh, what I discovered was, you know, there's a, my life has been loss, heal, loss, heal, loss, heal. And tell me again that little saying you said at the beginning yeah. of the truth. Real you transformation feel. requires real honesty. If you want to move forward, get real with yourself. Yeah. I had to get real with myself when I was, uh, you know, getting out of my alcoholism. I had to look at what I was thinking and saying and doing, and and only the truth really set me free. So, and that is a big piece of my grieving program. It's gut level honesty with what really happened and what part you might have played in it. And also the biggest thing is when you get real with yourself, you get real about the good things too. And, um, and mm -hmm. the thing is anyone who comes for therapy about anything uh, to do with grief, they, the important thing is not to beat up on themselves. And the other part of that is, and not to spend all, a whole lot of time on who beat them up. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a two-edged sword, really. And right. so, so the, the heart of my program is the, the cherishing of what was beautiful that we lost. And, and that's a very important piece and cherishing ourselves for being honest enough, for being brave enough to get through and to get into a program of recovery from the grief. And um, so this whole thing was just flowed into where I am today. And- Go ahead, finish that thought. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. <laughs> I uh, thank you, Joan. Thank you. I know that I know that there's so much more that you could still share. And, you know, we were doing our best here to give as much as we could within, you know, a, a half hour show, basically. And I think you did an excellent job. And what I really want to highlight here is um, you said it, you said the word I was, I was anticipating, but you know, here you attended this uh, retreat with other therapists and you're all learning, you know, going through the therapy yourselves while you're learning how to help others. And I know for someone like me and, and people in the personal development space, like, like to me, that stuff is exciting. I love that kind of stuff, the learning and the training and the growing and all of it. But what was coming up for me as you were talking about that is I know for a lot of other people, that's scary. It's very scary to go to someone that you don't know, um, or even if someone you do know, but basically to begin to open up and share more of what's going on within you can be very scary, possibly overwhelming because of the emotions, because of the uncertainty. You don't know how intense it might get and all of that kind of stuff. But what you said is what I wanted to highlight is it 
you said you gained your freedom again. It's very liberating experience. And I just, I want to highlight that for everybody, um, for anybody here who's thinking, you know, gosh, I probably could use a grief coach, but I don't know if I could, if I can really do that, if I can get myself there. It's liberation on the other side of it. Do you want to say anything more about the the liberation, the freedom piece of it? Yes, um, it, it truly is to this day and every day the truth that would set me free. Like when you asked me if I would be willing to be interviewed about, um, you know, being a nun. And uh, I, 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 I think my response back to you is, was that statement. Yes. The, it's always the truth that sets us free. And so if I have to tell the truth to the world, even though, you know, whatever misgivings I might have about what, what this is going to have on other people, that that is neither here nor there. The truth itself, if I choose to be honest, gut-level honest, it's very hard to be gut-level honest when you're in a place of having been the, the, the world tipped upside down and you've lost your grounding and you don't know who you are, what happened, how did this happen to me? And then it was all their fault. And then you go the other way and you say, well, I had something to do with this too. You have to do, you have to look at both sides of that story and come to a real honoring of who you truly are, your true self is good and beautiful. And you are resilient enough to even, or courageous enough to yes. take the step and, and resilient enough to persevere in it. And that's the story of life itself, isn't it? Absolutely. Yes. How can we keep going if we don't ever allow ourselves to evolve? I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, nature, trees, um, the seasons, right? Everything has its season and bloom and then it releases and it replenishes and we're that same way. And the way that speaks to us is whether we keep holding on to everything that we go through or we learn to release and allow ourselves to be replenished anew we find that freedom again and and lightness that we deserve so that we can enjoy our life and i think that that's you know as i i i've someone who's always been it, i love counseling and therapy and, and and coaching and talking about stuff i to me i love this stuff but the realization of how things really accumulate as we get older and so the things that we don't allow ourselves to look at and process and release and transform Oh, it, I mean, it, we're just going to keep getting older. So it means, I mean, it's just going to keep piling up if we don't ever, you know, allow ourselves to cultivate that practice of being able to release and let things go. And, um, it, you know, easier said than done and so worth it. So um, we are nearing the end of today's show. I do want to make sure everyone knows where um, they can go to connect with you again. So I'm, for all of our, our, our uh, video viewers today, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're watching us today, you can see the link on the screen. Um, it's a bit of a long one, but go ahead and grab a snapshot of that. This is where you can access Joan's grief coaching program. And so 
In a nutshell, it is rjmcdermott54.mastermind.com forward slash masterminds forward slash 42842. So all of our, pod, our podcast audio only listeners, um, uh, take note of that. I'll go ahead and put it in the description wherever you're watching today's conversation as well. And Joan, you also have, we, we shared this with everyone on the last in the last interview, but I want to make sure everyone knows you also have a, a free book that people can download when they go to your site as well, right? Clearing Space for Grace, Finding New Life After Loss, correct? Yes. Uh, did you say free? I, I, it's free. Yes, I believe it's it's free. It's no. Oh, it's not free. Oh, I'm so sorry. It's not free. Okay. They, no, they go to Amazon for this, correct? You have to get it from Amazon and it's... Uh... 9.90 something. I don't even know the price. It's less than $10. Okay. Okay. My apologies. Yeah. No, her book is not free. Clearing Space for Grace, Finding New Life After Loss. You can find that on Amazon. Um, and of course, definitely worth your money to, to access that. But Joan, do you have any final words you'd like to leave everyone with? Um, uh, you know, and I want to remind everyone, if you'd like to learn more about Joan's grief coaching and, and specifically uh, what she has to say about grief, definitely check out the previous conversation that we did here on the Everyday is a New Day show. But Joan, what final words would you like to leave everyone with today? I would love to leave the words of learn to love yourself and take care of yourself. Don't get lost in the emotionality of who did what to who. You know, uh, find your compassion for yourself and it will be easy to be compassionate with others and it will set you free because that's the truth. We're all just scrambling around here on this beautiful, beautiful planet Earth and um, we find great joy in gratitude. Count up all your blessings every day. Something something to be grateful for every single day. I'm so grateful that we're here today, right now. I can't believe I spilled all that out in a half an hour. <laughs> you did great. You did excellent. Excellent. And I, I know there's still so much more you shared, but I think we shared the, the core components to um, be able to highlight your story, which then is a light for other people as well as you received that message from God. So Joan, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Kim. Okay. So Joan, I'm going to go ahead and put you back down into lobby just for a moment and I'll see you there again very soon while I close out the show. Okay. Bye. Okay. Ah, okay. So once again, what are you taking away from today's conversation? What came up for you? Was it the the whole concept about, you know what? It it might be helpful for me to reach out to a professional. You know, get get some get some counseling, speak to a grief coach, whoever it might be. Or maybe it was something else. Maybe it was something about how, you know what? Life doesn't happen in a straight line. And I want to say even healing doesn't happen in a straight line. It tends to happen in little bits and pieces, and it can go a lot quicker when we take time to to be intentional about it and work with someone. Um, and I want to go back to Joan's final thoughts about taking time to love yourself and have compassion for who you are, especially as you're in that process of learning to be real with yourself. 
I hope you're taking time. We pulled a card, Joan and I, we pulled a card right before the beginning of the show and I will share it with you. The card is breathe and breathe again. It's from my deck, the Every Day is a New Day deck. But maybe you need this reminder to take time to breathe for yourself. It begins with those simple, subtle acts of breathing, exhaling what doesn't serve you, and then inhale what does. Inhale more, you know, God, show me more, you know, please guide me. Show me more of what I need to see, of what I need to know, what I need to hear, whatever it might be. Inhale that. Remember that every day is always a new day. Wherever you are today does not have to be where you are tomorrow. You are worthy of newness, of, of, of experiencing something new in your life, releasing whatever's been replaying over in your, your, your mind, your heart, your, your energy field, however long it may be, it doesn't have to continue and just start by taking a breath, exhaling it out. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up here. Have an amazing day. I love connecting with you, and I hope you know how amazing you are. I'll see you all again very, very soon.